Father, we come to you this morning singing this praise because you alone, to you alone belongs all glory and all power and all honor. Father, we praise you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfectly spotless, sinless life that we could never hope to live on our own. Father, we who were dead in our trespasses, in our sins, with hearts far from you, Lord, you in your mercy saw us. You sent Jesus to take our place in death, to absorb the fullness of your wrath against sin so that we could stand and we could sing in freedom, that we could live free of the guilt and the shame of our sin, free from the condemnation of the enemy, to live free from the power of sin, which is death, to live free from the penalty of sin, all because of Jesus. Fathers, we come to your word this morning. Would you help us to see once again this perfect finished work that's been done for us, a work that we can receive by faith, a victory that you have offered to us freely through faith in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we would renounce any ability within ourselves to earn this salvation on our own, to rest completely in what's been done for us through the name of your son, Jesus Christ. So Father, as we open up these words this morning, would you humble our hearts? Give us a soft and a tender posture towards your word today. And so church, would you just, just kind of ask the Lord that on your own this morning, that he would give you a heart. And we'll just be humble to receive this word today. We're gonna look at some heavy things this morning. to receive. So fathers, we still and as we quiet our hearts today, speak to us now through your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You can now go ahead and have a seat. And uh, as you do have your seats this morning, just to echo Cole and Ron's sentiments today, I do just want to quickly uh, wish all of our moms in the room a happy Mother's Day. And I think Cole said very well for us this morning. You know, for many of us today, today is a day of rejoicing. It's a day of gratitude. It's just a day of joy in our homes and our families as we reflect on the mothers in our houses, the mothers that we grew up with who raised us and nurtured us and grew us closer to Christ. Uh, I know my mom just watches every week. So happy Mother's Day, mom. I love you. Uh, I know where she's at this morning. And, you know, if there was just a, a microcosm of what it means to be a mom, uh, Emily, unfortunately, stuck at home this morning. We've got a little guy that's sick. And uh, so moms, man, just every unseen sacrifice that you make, every uh, underappreciated um, sacrifice that you make for us and for our families. I don't know about how your house works. Uh, in the Burgess household, without Emily, we would straight up go out of business. And you can just go ahead and add this church to that list, too, because she's really the one that's kind of running all this behind the scenes. So um, love our moms. But again, at the same time, we recognize for, for many that today is very conflicting and can be difficult for a number of reasons. And if that is you this morning, 
Just know our heart is for you. We have prayed for you this week. I've prayed for you uh, even this morning and pray uh, that even today you would find grace, peace, and comfort uh, through the Holy Spirit. As we read from the Word of God earlier, regardless of what your relationship with your mother is, uh, He intricately knit you together within her womb. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And my prayer for you today would be that you would experience the grace and the peace and the comforts of, of knowing Jesus Christ. And we've prayed that for you. Um, so that being said, can we, can we just celebrate our moms very quickly? This Happy Mother's Day. We, we love all of you and we're grateful for you. I want to invite you to go and turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 23. Uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week in verses 25 through 28. And as you get to Matthew chapter 23, I also want to encourage you to go ahead and flip over to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to look at uh, both of those passages of Scripture today. Matthew 15 is going to give us a really solid example of what it is that Jesus is addressing in Matthew chapter 23. So again, we'll start chapter 23, and then we're going to flip back and forth a couple of times back to Matthew chapter 15. Um, Lord opens up the door usually for me a couple times a year to go to some sort of ministry training event or conference. With, with other pastors where we can be built up and encouraged and edified mutually um, together. And one thing that I've found to be universally true about every uh, pastor gathering that I go to, conference or event that I attend, is that when I show up at registration, I'm going to get a name tag, I'm going to get a water bottle, and I'm going to get a t-shirt. Uh, this is universally true across the board at pretty much every ministry event I've ever been to. And typically the water bottles aren't that great. I'm just going to be honest, like uh, something I'll come home and I'll give to my boys. I'm like, you guys can you know, use those to squirt at each other or whatever it is they do, or it goes in the donation pot. But I went to a small gathering of pastors a couple years ago, and I got a really nice water bottle. It was like stainless steel. It was vacuum sealed, one of those that, you know, it's going to keep it like frozen for 48 hours or whatever it is these water bottles do now. And uh, so I was like, man, I'm, this one's a keeper, right? Like I'm going to hold on to this. And so I got back home and before I used it, I wanted to wash it out. So I washed it, I rinsed it, and then put the lid back on. And then it went into the cabinet for a couple weeks. And apparently uh, before I put the lid back on, either from the cap or from the bottle itself, it had not completely dried out. And the way I knew that is because as soon as I opened this vacuum sealed water bottle, it let out this musty smell that almost knocked me over and it was almost rancid. And I was like, what in the world happened here? And so sure enough, I peek inside the bottle and there's a little bit of mold growing in the bottom corner. This brand new bottle that I'd never used before. Uh, just to help you sleep, I did not use that water bottle on that particular day. And it is, it is clean and I have not died yet from using it. So we're good. Um, but it, it went back into the cabinet and, and you know, after I got it cleaned up, I use it regularly now. But what we had was this brand new water bottle, uh, perfectly flawless from the outside, stainless steel. It, it had every appearance of being perfect, and yet inwardly it was just full of rot. It was full of disgusting mold, something that had, had it gone into my body would have caused me some very, very serious harm. And over the last few weeks, we've been studying from Matthew chapter 23, uh, the seven woes that Jesus speaks to the scribes and the Pharisees. These are seven statements of judgment or condemnation that Jesus was speaking to the religious culture and the religious leaders of his day. These are the harshest words that we see Jesus speak in all of the gospels. And again, it's not spoken to those who were outside of the kingdom, it was spoken to those who were supposed to know who he was. It was spoken to those who had the greatest knowledge of his word, but had been totally missing the point. So in week one, we saw Jesus pronounce the woes of shutting the kingdom door in the faces of those who were seeking to know the Lord and also the sin of multiplying legalistic disciples. 
of, of multiplying our, our traditions of man that we have equated as equally authoritative as the word of God into the lives of others in such a way that we multiply sin. The next week we saw the danger of making empty promises. How sometimes we can be very, very guilty, even in our culture today, of hiding behind a lot of spiritual religious jargon sometimes to uh, absolve ourselves of commitments that we make or to outright just shirk our responsibilities to the commands that have been given to us in scripture. Last week we saw the danger of hiding behind our obedience in the small things to justify our negligence in the big things. So Jesus used the example of tithing with the Pharisees, how they were very faithful in this, and yet they neglected the weightier matters of the law, which were justice, mercy, and faithfulness. This morning, we're going to see from verses 23 through, or 25 to 28 the next two woes that Jesus pronounces. So if you're following along in your notes this morning, what we're going to see today is the danger of appearances. We're going to look at the danger of appearances. Appearances can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. And this has really been uh, an underlying theme in everything that we've looked at so far in Matthew chapter 23. But what we're going to see very explicitly this morning is that it is possible to appear externally pure through our religious works and yet still be internally dead because of our sins. This was the case with the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious culture of his day. And as we're going to see through the words of Jesus, salvation is not something that we gain by working from the outside in. It's something that Jesus works for us from the inside out. So from Matthew chapter 23, let's read together uh, verses 25 down through verse 28. So here's this familiar line that we've seen Jesus repeat now multiple times. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Second we'll hear, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also are outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. We see first from the words of Jesus this morning that we cannot be deceived by external appearances. We cannot be deceived by external appearances. You know, fortunately, this is one of those passages of scripture that doesn't require a whole lot of explanation. Uh, Jesus illustrates it for us very, very well. He's speaking in, in very much layman's terms, giving us two uh, explicit examples of what he saw through the faith and practice of the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, so he gives us two clear examples here. The first example is cleaning the outside of the cup and the plate instead of the inside. So again, it's just like my water bottle. He says, you, you're like those who clean the outside of a dish, but do nothing to clean the inside the part that's actually going to have a significant impact. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, we saw from week one, there are groups of people that appeared righteous on the outside. Remember, they literally wore their righteousness on their clothing. That they dressed in such a way that they wanted to attract attention to themselves. They wanted to be perceived as holy and righteous and celebrated. They loved the notoriety that came with their positions. They loved the title. They loved the authority. They were just eating all of this up. Outwardly, they looked like they had it all together. But Jesus says that they were full of greed inwardly. Inwardly, they were full of greed. They were only in their positions because they wanted more wealth, because they wanted more material gain, because they wanted to build up their own names, to build up their own reputation, to build up their own platform. He said they were also full of self-indulgence. They're only looking out for themselves. 
that there's no real concern for others. So they weren't in their positions uh, necessarily because they loved the people that they were leading because they wanted to fulfill this great responsibility to shepherd the people of God the way that they had been called to. It was all about building up themselves. Jesus says you're full of greed and self-indulgence. The language Jesus uses in John chapter 10 to describe these types of shepherds is that they were hirelings. They were those who, as long as they were getting a paycheck for it, everything was good. But at the first sign of a wolf, instead of putting themselves standing in the gap between the sheep and the wolf, they would be the first ones to run away. Jesus said, you're full of greed. You're full of self-indulgence. So it wasn't just about self-promotion. It was also about self-preservation. It was the only reason why they were holding on to these particular titles. The second example Jesus gives us is by telling, calling them whitewashed tombs. He says, you're like dishes that are clean on the outside, dirty on the inside. He says, you're also like whitewashed tombs. Uh, according to the Jewish Mosaic law, Numbers chapter 19, those who came in contact with a dead body or they touched a structure that was holding a dead body, they became ceremonially unclean. And you will remember from the last few weeks, the work of the scribes and Pharisees was that they wanted to do as much as they possibly could to keep the people from falling into sin. So the intention was good. That the intention was good. Like they wanted to apply the word of God in such a way that the people wouldn't fall into sin. The problem is sometimes they went overboard. And so what they would do it, with tombs, because it wasn't always clear, was this a tomb, was it not, is uh, they would whitewash the exterior. So they would take some type of paint, they would take some type of bleach, it would just be blindingly white so that there was no mistaking whatsoever, hey, that is, that's a place of death and decay, don't touch this because you don't want to be clean. Jesus says you are like these whitewashed tombs. I mean, outwardly you are just glistening white, but inwardly you are full of decay, rot the deterioration of bodies, everything that makes us uncomfortable when we think about death. This is how Jesus describes their religious condition. So they went above and beyond to make sure no one came in contact with the physically dead, but they were ignoring the fact that they themselves were spiritually dead. That they love to emphasize and focus on the externals. And this is the indictment from Jesus in Matthew 23. You look clean on the outside, but you're corrupt on the inside. You look beautiful on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. Now, this is where I want you to go to Matthew chapter 15. And we're going to read a longer passage here. This is verses 1 through 20. So just bear with me here for a couple moments. And I want us to read this passage because what we get in Matthew 15 is an example of how the Pharisees would greatly emphasize the externals. I mean, they paid great attention to what was happening on the outside, but they neglected what was happening on the inside. And Jesus addresses this at length in Matthew 15. So we're going to read together uh, verses 1 through 20. It says, Then the scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition, pay attention to that word, of the elders? Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, for the priests, for the religious leaders, according to the law, there was a number of ceremonial washings that they were supposed to go through before fulfilling their service in the temple and carrying out uh, the business of the temple. Except what they did is they took that rule and they applied it to everyone. They said, this isn't just for the priests, this is for all of God's people. And so they had this tradition of uh, extensive washings before even people would come to a meal, and then they would impose that on the people. And then he answers in verse 3, he says, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? 
And what Jesus is going to do here, as we saw a couple weeks ago, is he's going to address a way the scribes and Pharisees were using a religious loophole around their obedience to the word of God. He says, for God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not, he not, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. We've talked a lot the last few weeks about what legalism is, and there's just another very basic working definition for us. Legalism is when we void the word of God for the sake of our tradition. It's when we exalt our tradition above the word of God. He says, verse seven, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So again, we ask the question, what is legalism? Another basic working definition. When we teach as doctrines the commandments and traditions of men. This is what Jesus is condemning. It's when we take our traditions, it's when we take our man-made, man-imposed commitments and traditions and we exalt them uh, even at times as above the word of God or equally authoritative with the word of God. So then Jesus goes on, verses 10 through 20, to talk about this is what really causes corruption. Verse 10, he called the people to them and said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Like Jesus cares at all. He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Disciples like us, hey, feel good. If you're just a little bit of a slow learner, so were all the disciples. Just, just kind of took them a minute to wrap their minds around it. So Jesus really just breaks this down Barney style for him. Verse 16, he said, are you still also without understanding? Well, this is Jesus two weeks in a row with the potty talk here. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. That those are, that's language fishermen would have understood, right? First century, Jesus really breaks the say. He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart, everyone say heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These, Jesus says, are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Can't be deceived by external appearances. The Pharisees and the scribe obsessed over the externals, but to the neglect of the internals. They had clean hands, but they had corrupt hearts. And this is what Jesus condemns here. So Jesus, I think, warns us here through this passage, and we need to see that we cannot be deceived by our own religious appearance, and we can't be deceived by the religious appearance of others. Now, I want to be just, just really, really candid here this morning. I've had a number of conversations with you over the last few weeks and, and, and just kind of working through some of this. Many of you who have, have grown up in these types of backgrounds that we've talked about or even recently have, have stepped out of these types of backgrounds. It's asking the question, well, why does this domineering culture of legalism persist today? How is it that these churches continue to thrive? How is it that these leaders continue to cultivate a following? How is it that they, they garner the, a reputation? How is it that this uh, maintains so much attention? I'm gonna tell you one simple way why I believe this happens today is because we are prone to obsess over the externals at the neglect of the internals. 
give you an example of this. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is where we find biblically the qualifications for those who are to serve as pastors, elders, overseers within the local church. This is what we use as we vet uh, candidates for ordination or for the elder team. We just use the criteria given to us in the word of God uh, by 1 Timothy chapter 3. And here's what's fascinating about uh, all the criteria given in 1 Timothy 3. There's over a dozen requirements for pastors, elders, overseers in 1 Timothy 3. Only one of them has anything to do with gifting and everything else has to do with character. But this is what we tend to do in our entertainment-driven culture today. We take the one that has to do with gifting and we exalt it over character. And what's amazing, even what we're told about the gifting of those who serve in roles, it's, it's really benign. It just says those who are gonna be pastors, elders, overseers, they must be able to teach. Just capable teachers. And again, th this is what we do. This is kind of how we, we've culturally imposed our own expectations on that, right? So people who preach and teach the word of God, this is what we want in the 21st century. It's like, we need somebody who's, who's dynamic and who's witty and who's engaging and who's funny, but it's also not like comedy hour. And I want it to be deep, but I don't want it to be so deep. I don't understand. And I want it to be understandable, but I also don't want it to be shallow because I need to get fed. And I don't want it to be too long, but I also don't want it to be like a TED talk, able to teach. That's what 1 Timothy 3 says. And, and it's so sad to me how many faithful pastors and teachers in our culture are cast to the side just because they can't get up and, and communicate like Tim Cook at an Apple presentation. And it's sad. Like we need to rejoice in those who can simply faithfully shepherd us through the preaching and the teaching of God's word. We take that one gifting piece and we put it above character. And then this is, God help us, this is what we do. We, we look at leaders and we read Matthew 23 and we see that picture. And we, we, if we're just being honest, we see someone that's like they're, they're proud, they're arrogant, they're unapproachable, they're condescending, domineering, maybe a, a pattern even of, of, of religious and spiritual abuse behind the scenes. There's no real accountability. There's no one in that environment that can tell them no. And Lord help us, this is what we say, but man, he can preach. You won't find a better scholar. You won't find a better theologian. You won't find someone more well-versed in doctrine. You won't find someone who, who goes to greater lengths to make sure we remain unstained from the world. And we throw character to the wind all in the name of gifting. And I think the word of God compels us this morning. Do not do this. Do not be blinded by externals. It is possible to appear externally pure, but be internally dead in your sins. God's word compels us that we pay attention to these things. This is Dr. David Black from Southeastern Seminary. He said recently, there is a kind of Christianity that delights in being harsh and almost brutal. And this is what's so deceiving about it. He says, strength is present and so is doctrinal purity. And that's what's so deceiving. It's strength is present, so is doctrinal purity. But here it is, but there is no tact or compassion. No one ever lived a holier life than Jesus, yet our great high priest is full of sympathy, mercy, and grace. Listen to me this morning, because we, we live in a transient community. Many of you are military. You're gonna have to find a church like every two or three years. And so I try to share this at least a couple times a year. When you and college students, some of you are going off, high school students, you're getting ready to go to college. You're, you're looking at a church. Absolutely uh, evaluate the teaching. Read the doctrinal statements, but ask this question, not just is the gospel of grace being preached, is the gospel of grace being practiced? 
Is this a place that's not just going to preach the message of the gospel from the pulpit? Is this going to be a community that practices grace behind the scene? Not just the gospel of grace in preaching, but the gospel of grace in practice. Here's a really helpful metric for you this morning. Does this leader look more like a Matthew 23 Pharisee or a Psalm 23 shepherd? And that's who I believe the Lord compels us to be like today. And so we just have to be totally honest about this. We have to look beyond gifting. We have to pay attention to character because Jesus says it is possible for a leader to look externally pure but be internally corrupt. Second, by implication this morning, we see that we will not be saved by religious works. We will not be saved by religious works. Remember, the the problem with the Pharisees was not that they didn't know the word. They knew it better than everybody else. The problem with the Pharisees wasn't that they weren't zealous enough. They were more zealous than everyone else. And church, here is my fear for for many of us who grew up in this Bible Belt culture is that many of us grew up and we didn't convert to Christ so much as we converted to a new set of rules. We traded the old legalism for, for a new one and you're still trapped in the bondage of believing that Christ's love for you is predicated on your ability to keep those rules. And it's the bondage of, of slavery. Listen closely here, here this morning. I, I just, don't, don't take any notes. Don't look at your Bible. Just look at me here for this morning. I, I need you to hear this. I want to know that you hear this today. You will not be saved by your religious works. I didn't say that you might not. You will not. And, and the reason I want to emphasize that this morning is because for those of us who have grown up in it, we've heard it all and we've seen it all and we've done it all and we've heard Ephesians 2, 8, 9 a million times. You are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. We say, yeah, I know that I'm not saved by works. Tell me something that I don't know. If that's you, you probably need to hear it more than anybody else. You will not be saved by your religious works. I mean, just take our core four as a church that we're gonna be a people we've covenanted together to gather, grow, give, and go. Do you really believe that's gonna save you? Just be honest. Is, is, is your, is your uh, plan when you stand before the Lord on the judgment day to, to read off your spiritual resume? You think it's going to be your church attendance that gets you in? How, how faithfully you read your Bible every single day, how faithfully you prayed, how much you gave, even how much you shared the gospel. Listen, the Pharisees did all of these things. I want to ask a few questions of you this morning. I'm going to ask these questions, and I'm going to let each one of them sit for just a second. We're going to let it get nice and awkwardly silent here for a few moments. Because I I just want us to wrestle with these things this morning. I want to ask a few questions for evaluating uh, if you're trapped in works-based legalism. This is not in your notes, community group leaders. I'll drop this in your Slack channel today so you can use this for group discussion. I just want you to hear this for right now. How can I tell if I'm trapped in works-based legalism? Let me ask this. Is following Christ a duty or is it a delight? Is it a duty or is it a delight? Second question, are you following Christ out of fear or are you following him in freedom and faith? Third question, is your life marked by joyful service or by begrudging submission? Here's a fourth one here for us this morning. Because this is the great error of the scribes and the Pharisees that we are very much still prone to drift into today. Do you approach the Bible like it's the word of God given for transformation? Or do you approach it like a textbook for information? 
How can we tell if we're drifting into these things? Listen, church, I just want to warn us and caution us this morning. I think legalism might be Satan's finest work. I think it might be his finest work because it tells us that we have found freedom in Christ when the reality is that we are still stuck in the prison of our own sinful flesh. It convinces us that we are the most spiritually mature when the reality is we are still spiritual infants and in fact might still be spiritually dead. Legalism is the artificial respirator that is pumping the air of religious pride into the lungs of the spiritually dead. It deceives us into thinking that we're alive. Listen, there there is in fact something that is worse than being lost and apart from Christ. It's being lost and not thinking that you're apart from Christ because you are breathing the air of legalism, because you are breathing the air of works-based salvation. With every breath that we take, we poison our lungs a little bit more. We will not be saved by our religious works, but listen to me this morning, you don't have to be. You cannot, you will not be saved by religious works. This is the good news this morning. You ready for this? We've heard it before, but I think we all need to hear it again this morning. You can't be saved by your works, but Jesus Christ has done the work so that you can be saved. That's really good news for us this morning, amen? That's really good news to know that it is not up to me to just keep all the rules. It is not up to my ability. God's love for me is not predicated on my ability to nail every single one of these laws perfectly because I can't. God in his mercy sent Jesus Christ and he's done it for you. The gospel is not a message of do, the gospel is a message of done. It's been accomplished for you through Jesus Christ. And we get to receive this church freely by faith. We don't have to work for it. We can't work for it. And yet God in his mercy gives it to us for free. That is true freedom. It's knowing that you cannot earn it on your own, but the good news of resting in the truth that you don't have to because Jesus Christ has made it available for you. We won't be saved by our religious works, but we can be saved through his work. And we see third this morning that not only will we not be saved by works, we must be transformed from the inside out. We must be transformed from the inside out. Salvation is not about our works from the outside in. It is about the work of Christ from the inside out. It is not something that we can do for him. It is something that he does for us. This is the overarching indictment that Jesus pronounces against the scribes and the Pharisees from Matthew chapter 15. This had been the message of the prophets for centuries. This is the message that the people refused to hear. It was the message they refused to acknowledge. It is the message that we today are still prone to tune a deaf ear into. Jesus said of them, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Externally pure, internally dead. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's so easy to pay lip service to Christ. It's so easy to pay lip service to our faith. Does he have your heart? Does he have your heart? It is not enough to know information about Jesus in your head. You have to experience and know transformation in your heart. That doesn't come through anything that you can do. That can come only through what Christ has done for you. This is how Jesus describes them in verse, in chapter 23. He says, outwardly, they're clean. Inwardly, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. He says, outwardly, they look holy. Inwardly, they're spiritually dead. They're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What an indictment that those who are so meticulous in their keeping of the law externally, Jesus says, internally lawless. There's no boundary to their corruption. 
There's, there's no internal rules to them. There's no bounds that they will, they will not, they're not willing to break in order to uphold their tradition above the word of God itself. Church, it's a haunting reality that we have to at least consider today. Now, this could be true for us. This could be true of many of the leaders, even the scholars and theologians and pastors. Man, you talk about the things that make me tremble as a pastor. Studying this week and even reading this this morning, we have to consider the reality that there are perhaps... Some of us today, well-respected pastors, Bible teachers, theologians who know the Bible cover to cover, who can exegete the nuance of every text, whose doctrine is sound, whose theology is pure, who go to great lengths to be unstained by the world, who know Christ in their heads but don't know him in their hearts. And here's what we have to realize this morning. If that is us today, we are not just misled, we are lost and dead in our sins. It's a weighty thing to consider. You can externally have it all together and internally be far from Christ. You know, um, I was a sophomore in high school. I went to a funeral. This is uh, a younger guy who passed away, someone we had been close to as a family, and uh, he died as a result of a massive drug overdose. And the way it was explained to me and the way I understood it was uh, that the drug overdose was so intense that a, a portion of his heart basically exploded. I mean, just it was instantaneous, killed him instantly, and just a, a tragedy that we mourned together as a, as a family and as a community, just friends that have been close to our family. I remember going to this funeral. The one thing that I remember about this funeral more than any other funeral I've been, uh, it, it was the first funeral I've been to where if it was a man who was laying in the caskets, uh, he wasn't wearing a suit and tie. Younger guy, so they just dressed him the way he would have normally dressed. So he's in jeans and he's in a, a flannel shirt. He's got his hat on. He had his eyebrow pierced. I mean, everything, it just looked like him. It just looked exactly like him. But, but just standing there over his casket, as I was, I was looking at him and just seeing like, man, that this is him. This is his personality. This is who he was. I couldn't get past mentally in that moment what had happened to his heart. To see this external picture of a body that looked so fully alive. And like, I mean, it's almost like he had just had, had gotten out of his car and walked into the place where the funeral was and just laid down. And the I mean, it just looked exactly like him. I could not get past what happened to his heart. And it's just that reminder, man, you, you can put makeup on a corpse, but it does nothing to change the fact that the body is dead. And this is what our religious works are. This is what legalism is. It, it's putting the makeup on the corpse. It's, it's having externally all of the signs of being alive, but internally being dead. And church, church listen to me. I, this is heavy this morning. This is so heavy for, for us to consider today, but we have got to be a people who understand we cannot be saved from the outside in. We have to be transformed from the inside out. That is not a thing that you can do on your own. That is not a work that you can plead on your own. It is only by the grace and the mercy of God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, that we can experience that type of transformation. And listen, God in his mercy offers you that transformation and he offers it to us freely. It's not enough to know Jesus in our heads. It is not enough to obey Jesus with our hands. We have to know him in our hearts. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord externally, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this is the salvation he offers us all today. This is the repentance he invites us into this morning. So you just bow your heads with me as we close our time together this morning. These are heavy things today. 
And I don't wanna say a whole lot right now because I really just want you to be able to do business with the Lord. Where is your confidence in salvation? Is your confidence in what you're doing for Christ or is your confidence in what Christ has done for you? Because only one of those can save. This morning, the invitation for you is to be transformed from the inside out. Not just to give the Lord your head for more information, but to give him your heart for transformation. And he'll do it. Oh, he'll do it. So this morning, maybe what needs to happen is just in confession and repentance, you lay your heart bare before the Lord Jesus Christ. You turn from your sin. You call on his name and be saved. Maybe as a follower of Jesus, it's just recognizing that you've been putting way too much confidence in the externals. And the Lord needs to do a, a new work of renewal and transformation in your heart. That your confidence would not be in what you're doing for him, but in what he has done for you name of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, that this would be our only boast. So fathers, we, we prepare to come to this table this morning to be reminded of your perfect sacrifice was made for us through your son, Jesus Christ on the cross. As we once again, consider the weight and the gravity of our sin, the cost to you to save us, Father, renew our hearts today. Transform us from the inside out. So Father, I pray for the person in this room this morning who feels deflated, who feels defeated, who feels inadequate. I pray that they could raise their eyes and their face and see you, see your love and see your grace and see your mercy and hear your invitation and respond the voice of the enemy would be silenced because there is no condemnation for those who are in your son, Jesus.